Hello and welcome to episode number 14 of the Run Things podcast. And it's two days after we recorded the last one. It's very strange. Yeah, it is. We're kind of being really organised, but this is for a reason. Um, today's podcast is coming on the anniversary of Claire and myself doing the Berlin Marathon. Berlin anniversary. Berlin, Berlin, Berlin. <laughs> Berlin. Berlin. Okay. Berlin. Yep. So anyway, we both ran that last year um, and Claire messaged me this morning and said, happy Berlin anniversary. And then after vomiting, I thought, uh, well, actually, I said to Claire, uh, lovely city, shit race or something like that, because it didn't go well. Yeah. And I said the day we hated running. Yeah. Hated running. But um, we did get pissed on that night. So. We get pissed on most nights, to be fair. Yeah, true. Um, And it's kind of serendipitous. Get that serendipitous nice um because we also had scheduled for tonight a conversation with a guy called john who claire knows an awful lot better than me but he's someone that i met at berlin uh last year for the first time proper um and we're going to talk to him about uh, well actually i won't steal his thunder but we're going to talk to him about him and his story uh I, i think it's probably fair to say it might be triggering yeah i think um uh I guess any of our episodes could be, but I think, uh, <laughs> yeah. Triggering of sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we'll be talking about some heavy stuff. So just a word of warning out there. Yeah. Um, but he's going to touch on kind of disappointment and what it can do to you. And I was immensely disappointed by um, Berlin, Berlin last year. So uh, yeah, it's worked out kind of well that it's Berlin anniversary, and uh, we're going to talk about disappointment and how we as human beings struggle with that sort of thing as well, especially as runners. Um, tell me about disappointment, Claire. <laughs> so much dis. I'm just a disappointment, really, aren't I? So one big giant disappointment. Um, last year, I guess linking it back to the Berlin anniversary. Um, I'd been injured pretty much for the whole year. So I'd been going for my Boston qualifying time at Brighton. Um, I damaged a disc in my back, um, which was putting pressure on a nerve, essentially, uh, not through running at all, but through um, my day job. And um, not in a PT session with me because (laughs) very safe and secure and very insured as well, just for potential clients. (laughs) Good to know. Good to know. Um, Yeah. And and that kind of set me back massively for. (laughs) Set you back. Yeah, I know. Um, For for a year, essentially. And I kept trying to come back and run. sooner than I was ready to and I think I would be okay and then I wouldn't be able to run for another couple of months and then I'd try again and the pain was stupid and um I hated it I hated every minute of it and um I didn't get to try for my Boston qualifying time I still haven't tried for that um and I don't know that I ever will now um until I'm very very old um but yeah it sucked why did you still do it then Berlin I mean um because you got to go on holiday with me mainly because I got to go on holiday with you I wanted 
I, I guess I wanted to change um, what that year had been about. I love running marathons, weirdly, um, and I still wanted to do it. I think in a weird way, running Berlin, even though I didn't enjoy the marathon at all, really, or the setup or my time or anything else, um, I think it really just helped me because I didn't feel useless anymore. Did all the pressure come off then because you were able to run and that was all you were able to do? Uh, I don't think so because I think I put myself under an immense amount of pressure all the time. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I was annoyed at myself even post-injury having only done, I think, like one miler in training that I was not as quick as I once was which is stupid but that's just kind of how my brain works yeah Um, something we touched on in the last podcast as well yeah but I I guess the bit that um I sort of that that kind of pushed me through and kept me going really weirdly was I was following you um so I had I was actually looking at my tracker to see how you were doing um through the race and was really just wanted you to do your thing um and I was like that's kind of all today is about Mm. um so that was nice in a way to not think about myself so much which I think I do way too much yeah so I suppose you you sort of just got to have a plod around a world famous marathon with a mate yep right yeah and kind of chat along and check someone else's progress and and take stock that it what and I, I honestly I'm not taking the piss here but just taking stock that it wasn't all about you and it was about kind of looking at what other people were doing and mm. and that sort of thing and, and taking part for taking part's sake yeah yeah definitely and and I think I want to still enjoy running even if I'm not racing or going for times and I think that's a really hard mental space to get into but I'm trying still um, and I think if if you can get there, it's probably a really nice place to be. Yeah, I imagine it is. So what happened on our Berlin anniversary for you? Oh, God, honestly, like, so this podcast is all about disappointment. And I honestly can't remember a time in my life, especially on like one specific day where I've been more disappointed in 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 a result or in something that was outside of me mm. um i was disappointed in myself but that was as a result of not hitting a target rather than being disappointed in an effort level like i couldn't have tried harder um i guess to give a, a bit of backstory and i think i've said this on on episode two actually of the podcast but it's, it's worth it for all of the three new listeners that we've got um i'd been attempting to run sub three hours literally a 259.59 would blow me away um since 2013 that mm. was my first tilt at it and i'd had a go every year since bar one and that one year was because i was like utterly pissed off with it and myself and i'd come close ish before like 303 302 and a half something like that and i decided i'd go for it at berlin again and i would like spend myself for 16 weeks in the run-up to it like commit myself to it properly eat properly train properly because I'd always taken time out or like you know not done some sessions or there was always a reason not to to work kind of as hard as I possibly could 
But in the run-up to Berlin, I just wanted it so, so bad. And I remember um, kind of getting there on the day and my block of training had been brilliant. It was throughout the hot summer last year. And I love running in heat because it's kind of oppressive. You know, I like being under pressure. And I've been really lucky in the past because I've always achieved my goals. I've, I'm rarely disappointed. I'll be honest with you. Maybe I set my goals too low. <laughs> and that's why. I'm like, I am a disappointment. You're like, I'm never disappointed. <laughs> and that is where we differ. Um, and I got to race day and I'd, I'd got gone through kind of, I don't know, I'd done like a few 20 milers. I'd done a whole bunch of 10 milers at marathon pace. I'd listened to other people. I'd done some great, great sessions, you know. Uh, the week before, I'd run a 10K in 38, 40-odd with a 20-kilo child in a buggy, you know. So I was flying, right? I was, I was in great nick. Um, but I didn't do it. Mm. And it was gutting. Like I was on target all the way around. I felt fine at halfway. But by mile five or six, I'd always start, like, start questioning myself straight off can you do this? And it was like, I rarely get uh, dominated by the demons when I'm running. But on that day, like I fought them off and never did they win because it was, it was my legs that stopped me. It wasn't my heart or my brain. Um, but yeah, I, I made some schoolboy errors. So I was sort of, you know, target pace for uh, a 259.59 is 6.49 a mile, um, which is 4.14, 4.15 per kilometre. My splits were great, like bang on, like 4.10, 4.12, 4.15, like all the way through. A couple of slightly slower ones because um, it got bottlenecked, like Berlin's fast, so they have fast people and, and the three-hour group was massive, you know, mm. like, so I was, I was running alongside and slightly ahead of the paces. Um, and then I started noticing that the, the kilometre markers were slightly ahead, no, slightly behind time-wise of my watch now i'd run by this point like 90 odd marathons in my life i kind of know what i'm doing and it dawned on me after like 35k that it's because i was running slightly further around corners and i hadn't shifted my times for that mm. so on my watch i was running bang on but on the official time i was now like 20 30 40 seconds out and it was just growing slowly and i couldn't do anything about it at all and i got to 40 kilometers and I basically, in my head, said, if the distance markers are out, then I'm on pace. If my watch is out, then I'm off pace. And I had about 45 seconds difference between the two at that point. So it was a lot of time. Now, in two kilometers, 45 seconds is massive mm. for someone who's already going at full tilt. Like, you know, I'm not that quick. This was me running threshold <laughs> for 26 miles. Um, and... Uh, on my watch, I hit 26.2 miles in uh, 259.31, but I hadn't even hit the Brandenburg Gate. Is that mm. what it's called? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, the, the big thing that's famous that you run under. And as soon as I went to 3.0001, I just stopped mm. and I started walking and I was angry. And I was just like, people going, go on, go on. And I was like, fuck it, mate. I don't care. And I was just like, my head was dropped, it had gone. Um, and I came in, I think, at 3.01.30 odd, having walked and plodded. Um, and afterwards, I just sort of, because I was, so I went and got one of those free beers, alcohol fried 
thing. Yeah. Sat down and like I wasn't bothered and I felt all right. And I just, oh, never mind, never mind. And then about five or six minutes later, I just started bawling. Mm. And I like, I lay there on my back, um, knackered and just feeling like a complete and utter failure. Um, because I'd done absolutely, I'm welling up. No, I, I'd no, done I'm absolutely going, everything cause... that I could um, and come up short again. And I don't know, like, and, and going back, if people have listened to last week's podcast or a few days ago, um, I haven't run fast since. Mm. Like, I can't do it. And it is a mental thing. Uh, I mean, it doesn't help that I'm a bit heavier and slower, but I just, I, I can physically recover quickly, but mentally I was shagged. Mm. And I remember seeing you afterwards and like, I was just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you managed to get any sort of conversation out of me because I was all over the shop and I wasn't like, I'd, I'd have my cry and I'd done with the cry, mm. but it was all of the other stuff, you know, and like, I don't know. I'm not over it. Um, and I still don't know if I'm going to try again, you know. We'll see, I guess. But yeah, that's like my biggest disappointment in running for sure. In life, um, there have been others, you know. Uh, the night or the day that my dad died, um, I I had started university a few days before. And um, on so that was, he died on a Saturday, I think. And on the night before, the Friday night, I went out with my mate Rob because we both came down from Melton to go to uni in Brighton. Um, and my dad had tried to call me and I put the phone down on him um, because I was on my way out and I just thought I'll catch him tomorrow. Mm. Um, so personally, that's a huge disappointment. Now, this is going to sound crazy, but in a lot of ways, I'm more disappointed about Berlin than I am about that. And I, I can't rationalise that. Mm. Um, I couldn't have stopped him killing himself, don't get me wrong, but it would have been nice to have a chat with him before he did. Yeah. Um, yeah, so th those are my two biggest ones. <laughs> now you're going to need to give another one as well. <laughs> no, I don't, think I, I don't think I do need to give another one. I think, like, seeing you after Berlin, obviously I was gutted for you, and um, I know how hard you had worked for that, and not just in the 16 weeks, but the years previous um well you'd, you'd literally been with me on those runs i made you come out on a bike with me while i was doing tempo 10 milers yeah right? wait it's all your fault that i did triathlon <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i i mean there is not a person who listens to this podcast or who takes part in one of our events or anything else that ever questions kind of how much you put into what you do um what a great guy that you are uh, and actually it pisses me off because i think lots of people like you more than they like me uh, i'll wind it in um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going all sycophantic on this talking about me and i certainly don't have time to be talking about you either um what i do have though is i put out on twitter and facebook earlier <laughs> just looking at me <laughs> Um, I, put I won't out on, finish what I'm going to say, it's fine. I put out on Twitter and Facebook earlier about uh, this kind of thing and, and asked what people's biggest appointments were. And it's refreshing to hear, A, that people have disappointments in lots of ways, um, but it also kind of puts me in my place because, um, you know, someone, and I'm not going to name names just in case they don't want me to, but someone said, I went to the GP about two months ago for a tick bite. And I came out with a diagnosis of a potentially fatal heart condition. 
I've been banned from running since until the cardiologist decides what they want to do with me. Um, I'm currently racing vicariously by marshalling races and park runs. That's how you deal with disappointment, right? Yeah. Still rock up to park run and put a high vis on. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. But I think um, like that scares me. Not Especially after you know being injured for such a long time. I realise how much my resilience strategy revolves around exercise. Mm. And when that's not there, that does, that is probably one of my big fears, not being able to do any sort of exercise because it impacts on my mental health in such a big way that I realise actually I'm not the most resilient person that I like to think I am these days. Um, I think we have peaks and troughs, don't we? You know, it's like we have... I don't know, 1,000 resilient point, resilience points to spend a year. Mm. But then you shift 500 of them in a single day and then you're battling for the rest of the year to, to kind of not spend them all. Do you think you can use disappointment as a, as a positive, as a motivator? Definitely. I think, it, uh, I think you or I, I guess, have to go through that emotional, almost like grief following that disappointment and that can take weeks or months or years or or whatever but I think when you're ready to it really does spur you on and I I quite like that when I've eventually got to a place where I've done the things that I've set out to do and I have every belief that if I do really want to do something and I keep trying then then I could do pretty much anything um that it's it is sweeter if you failed if you went out there every time and you just like kind of got it and you were like yeah all right I'm smashing it one I'd be saying maybe your goals aren't tough enough but two I don't know there's something like I I guess I'm weird like that but that pain that you go through every time you you fall down to then be in that position where you you actually do it which you know looking back to last year a week after Berlin um I PB'd in Loch Ness and that was amazing. Um, a much hillier, more gravelly course than Berlin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think when you're ready to, you definitely can. But that when you're ready could be completely different for different folk. See, I'm never disappointed by, no, I'm never motivated by my own disappointment. Like failing at this three hour thing. Hasn't made me be like, oh, next time I do it, I'm going to be like, yeah, fuck you, past experiences. <laughs> it doesn't work like that for me. But what has always driven me, and I mean like to the, to the brink of, of my mental health sometimes, is other people's disappointment in me. Mm. Um, I was a pleaser as a kid, always, always. And if my mum or my dad said they were disappointed in me, like that was worse than a slap. And I got a few of those. <laughs> But like, I just remember times when my dad would like sit me down and just go, I'm so disappointed. Mm. Um, I remember once I was doing the County Cross Country Championships in Leicester, massive hill, right? Really big hill to run up. My dad was at the bottom of it with a fag on, I've got to say. Um, and uh, I said to him, I can't do it. And he <laughs> shouted at me, you better get up that fucking hill now. And I could see that he'd be disappointed if I didn't. And mm. I sprinted up that hill. I think. That can motivate. My mate Matt, who you know, Matt Odes, mm. um, I think that he sometimes thrives on uh, my disappointment in him. And I think we play a game at that. Um, 
because he uh, is struggling for motivation to get out on his long run. And part of that is a mental block about mm. thinking that he can't do it, even though he definitely can. So there's always excuses. I know that he will try harder if I question why he wasn't able to do it. And I say, you know, it's a bit disappointing that you couldn't. And I know that pushes him. But then I also think it can push you to the edge in other ways and, and into irrationality as well. Um, 2004, Athens Olympics, Paul Radcliffe collapsed during the marathon, mm. came back the next day, um, obviously wasn't well and said, no, I'm going to do the 10K. I'm determined. Pulled out of the 10K. Yeah. So I think it can be a blocker as well and yeah. be quite dangerous sometimes. Yeah. I guess it's checking in constantly with yourself and asking yourself why you're doing something mm, and we've talked about that a lot i think asking other people to step in as well and help you to be responsible mm. because when we're driven we get blinkered and i think if we've got friends there as insurance policies like if i saw you injure yourself and then you had a, a marathon a week after you got like, i'm doing it i'd be like i really do not think you could do that yeah. So I think we do have responsibility for ourselves and for our friends as well. Yeah. I think where you feel that you can step in, definitely. And obviously we've got a close enough relationship where that would be okay to do so. Um, or I'd just make you do it and laugh. I mean, yeah, to be fair, true. slap on a pair of compression socks, do a bit of foam rolling, you'll be fine, mate. Well, I quite like injuries, don't I? So it's been a while since I've had one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because you're old. I am old. You're like one of those African footballers who's like, yeah, yeah, I'm 18, yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, but how old are you? That's like you. Yeah, I'm 30. 30? 31? 31. Yeah, 37. Soon, soon to be 32. Celebrity age. Uh, <laughs> end of October. Yes, well uh, done. 20th? No. Oh. God, Nearly, Jesus. never mind. So anyway, um, let's talk to John, shall we? Yeah. And maybe after John in the outro we'll do some funny stuff. Yeah, I know that was like weirdly heavy. Yeah. I think it's just going to continue being heavy. <laughs> Probs, but hopefully interesting for people. Um, yeah. And we had lots of input from, uh, from kind of social followers as well. So I think disappointment is massive, especially for people who have, uh, you know, kind of mental health struggles, let's say. Mm. So now we're going to talk to John Zinker. Um, I met John a, a while ago, actually, uh, running on some of the trails on the South Downs. Uh, he is a lovely guy, an incredible ultra runner now, um, mountain goat. And um, yeah, we both met him in Berlin and uh, we're just going to have a chat to him about running and coaching and his story and hear what he has to say. Before we do, um, do you remember the band The Mountain Goats? No, I don't. Don't you? Oh, brilliant. No. You should look them up. Lo-fi. Brilliant. Yeah. And also, you know John so well, you just had to ask him how to say his surname. Well, it's a weird thing, isn't it, surnames? Because you don't ever introduce, introduce yourself as, like, Kev Betts or Claire Rickson. You're just like, hi, I'm Claire. I just say I'm 52 Marathon Man. No <laughs> anyway, John, welcome. <laughs> hi. Hi, how yeah, are my you? Surname's a, yeah, I'm good, thanks. My surname is a tricky one. So it can go a, a, a number of ways. Okay. Well, because it, it, it could be zinc, or it could be zinker, or it could be Keep zinky. Going, <laughs> yeah, so, I've, I've had yeah. some bizarre ones anyway, yeah. What's your most bizarre? Oh, because I get name passes from sometimes with work when I go to events, and people just 
they're crazy. Uh, I've had Zilcher. Okay. They just literally just, just completely spell it differently. Worth nothing. They make up new... Yeah, completely <laughs> different surnames. And they start John Jahan. Uh, yeah. So that was bizarre as well. When you were at uh, school, were you always yeah. like last in line at lunch? Last in line at lunch, yeah. I was, yeah, generally last on a lot of things like that. And it's like you go to races and you get to sign up and you go to, just go to the last page. Yeah, always. <laughs> Mm. Always, and, and it's quite nice when you're not actually like when there's someone else that's like got a good name that's you know has got another letter after it that's, <laughs> that's lower than an I, and you kind of have a little celebration. That's fun. Well, talking about not being last, uh, I hear you did rather well at a very difficult race on Saturday. Oh, what a segue! Lovely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I was. Yeah, you were definitely um, not last. Where Where did you come? Definitely not last. No, nineteenth. That's amazing, and it was a Cumbria Way Ultra. Is that correct? Yeah, Cumbria Way Ultra from Olverston at the south to Carlisle in the north. Wow! And how far? Hundred. I, I clocked one hundred and twenty-two kilometers, which I think is about seventy-five miles. Jesus, maybe, somewhere around that. That's a long way. Um, and it's basically it just up, up a giant hill the whole way, yeah. <laughs> um, no, there's flat bits as well. They, but they call those mountains, really. <laughs> Yeah, three or four pretty big climbs. So how do you keep your brain switched on for, for that sort of distance? Like, how do you just keep um, going? I've, I've run quite far, but never that far. Um, you, do you not just die of boredom? No, not really. Um, the country, you, you do it for the views most of the time. Um, it was nice to start at 6am, so you've got a nice sunrise to go on, and then and then you kind of chat to people along the way and and you kind of look around at the views and stuff and you kind of got the goals that you want to get it done um, and you just carry on and you just keep putting foot into front of the other and go from checkpoint to checkpoint um, until it's done and yes there's some, there's some horrible bits at this point um, and there's some really good bits that's very simple um, like, it's a very simple approach was your training similarly simple um the training for this was kind of a weird one because I kind of only really had six weeks um, from ish because I, I did a race in Switzerland beforehand, which was short distance with the same amount of elevation. So it was like really steep mountains. And then I was on holiday and then I came back and I paced someone of their 100 mile thing, which had kind of kickstarted the training doing 40 miles in the night. And then I kind of went into a training plan. So it's kind of been a little bit haphazard, but... Wow. So, um, that is a lot of running. Yeah. A lot more than either of us are doing at the moment. <laughs> I did five miles tonight and I was like, yeah, I did five miles. <laughs> um, but weirdly, it, it was a year ago, well, probably a year ago yesterday, um, yeah. the three of us were sat in a coffee shop in Berlin somewhere after doing park run. And um, just sort of catching up, which seems yeah. really odd. The best thing about Berlin Park Run on Berlin Marathon Weekend is the fact that they have about 10 different groups, all with different pre-race briefings in different languages. Oh, I love that. That yeah. was so cool. Yeah, and they'd had like 15 people there the week before and then the week of Berlin Marathon, there was like 400 or 500 yeah. of us. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and the route was really nice as well. Yeah. The nice park run. Yeah, it was like through the woods and 
country park an actual park which is unusual for us because we have a promenade um but i digress anyway so <laughs> you um, do, yeah yeah we were we were sat in a coffee shop and i uh, i i guess because you well you knew me and you kind of knew of kev through me um through my fame through kev's 52 yeah. marathon fame um and you knew about kind of the work that we did for mind and i guess you kind of opened up to us then a little bit about what you were going through at that time um which was lovely uh for us because you know it was nice that you trusted us to kind of let us into what was going on but i know that trip especially was really difficult for you um and it must be weird a year on to to kind of look back at how far you've come yeah yeah, it was it was a uh, it was a very strange trip. It was not what I planned it to be <laughs> at the time because um, I had done I had done Paris earlier in the year, and that was like going to be my A race, which I trained for, following a proper plan for four or five months to get sub three thirty in the marathon, and I kind of mentally fell apart I think around 34k and something like that and ended up getting a small PB coming in around 338 something like that so then I had some other races I digress but some other stuff going on but I then kind of thought I've got Berlin I can I can focus on this and I can um get some training in beforehand and then try and give it a shot again um and i knew it's gonna be a fast course and it was gonna be good but about i think it was two weeks before um i was away on a work trip in barcelona and my work trips were pretty hard they the barcelona ones are the hardest the hours like could be 14 16 hour days every day back to back and i was still training so i was getting up doing runs not every day but maybe every other day going to work, doing the, doing the work, coming back. And I kind of noticed myself kind of losing myself a bit during that trip. And to cut a long story short, it kind of culminated in a, a pretty uh, epic breakdown right at the end of it um, in my hotel room um, on my own in Barcelona. When you say um, you, you could kind of sense, you, you could sense that you were losing yourself a bit, what, what do you kind of mean by that? Um, I kind of brought, took myself away from people. I kind of isolated myself mm-hmm. um, subconsciously. I didn't realize I was doing it. You know, you get breaks and things. And I would take myself off and just kind of have a little wander or something rather than being sociable. I kind of really just got on. I focused on the work. The work, apparently I did an amazing job while I was there. But um, the kind of other side, I kind of just really sort of separated myself. And then I didn't really know what I was doing or why. I kind of felt a bit lost. Um, I think the work was getting me down a bit as well. I didn't really fully understand what was going on at the time at all. So when did you um, understand? Like, and I'm really sorry if this sounds crass, but um, to you, what what does a breakdown look or feel like? At that point, it was literally I was shaking, couldn't stop crying. Um, literally, did not just didn't know what to do with life. What didn't know what to do with myself or where I was really um literally just and a little bit paralyzed as well just kind of um just yeah it's a really weird experience just kind of just didn't know what was going on at all so 
And what happened um, and um, afterwards? Lucky enough, someone has seen me, a really good friend, colleague, um, go to my room and I think she thought I looked in a funny way and she happened to come and knock on my door and I managed to let her in and then she kind of helped me and then, um, yeah, helped me out basically and just gave me a big hug and just sat with me for quite a long time. Um, yeah, until I kind of managed to calm, I get calm and was able to like eventually I think get to sleep. Um, which is a bit, yeah, weird. So that's um, kind of an, an on the day experience, and it must have been like shit scary and you know all, all sorts of weird and different and and you know whether it's expected or unexpected, I think it, it must freak you out. Well. It, yeah. it doesn't stop there, though, does it? I'm, I'm guessing. No. What, how does the, the aftermath take shape? The aftermath for me was just like emptiness. Uh, just really pure emptiness, not really knowing what was going on, not really feeling anything, not um, just not being. It's kind of really weird. Um, just kind of empty, really. And what? what uh mechanisms of, of of support were available and and what worked and you know how did you I'm not, yeah well i don't want to say initial, how did you get out initial of it bit is i yeah i kind of um i spoke to a couple of friends um and i also weirdly <laughs> um i messaged my friend sophie um who works at mind and asked for some advice. And I'd also been looking on the Mind website as well about some, just to get some information. Um, and just didn't really know what to do initially. And then I kind of, I think after a couple of days, I kind of managed to um, contact Booper. And through my work, I lucky enough to have a, a Booper subscription to. Um, try and get some counselling or some kind or something so I could go and talk to somebody. I didn't know what it would be about or what it or anything really. It's kind of weird. I just knew I needed to do something um, to kind of work out what was going on and why. Um, I had some really good support from a couple of good running friends as well. I went out for like a day and they just like to let me run and not talk, which is really nice. And just kind of enjoy just being outside with a bit of company without any kind of pressure. Um, and then I had to go to the doctor and get a um, referral. Um, lucky enough, my GP is pretty understanding. Um, and I managed to get a referral and I managed to get, um, then get, start booking in some counselling with Vipa. But I had discovered at that point that if I wanted do it through my local council I'd have to wait six to eight weeks Mm. um I think that's really um um, kind of interesting as well because I mean the great thing is obviously you were kind of educated enough to a point and had a good support system around you to to know that you know you needed to reach out and and get help and you were obviously pointed in the direction of of that help and you were able to kind of ascertain it fairly quickly whereas I think so many people fall just at that first hurdle in either that they yeah. don't know 
that they need help or they don't know how to ask for help. Um, and when they do, they maybe don't have an understanding GP or maybe they don't, you know, have access to that help for for a yeah. long period of time, which I think is really crucial. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's, um, I think I've kind of been educated through, I don't know, talking with people like you, other friends, um, had some other friends with various um, different issues with mental health at times. Um, has gone up and down and you kind of see that and it's kind of the thing where I never thought it would happen to me and I'd never need it but then I think after a day or two I recognised that I did need it because I recognised the kind of what I felt in myself possibly you know everything's different but what they might have been going through and why they went and sought help eventually or had to get people to help them to get help I think um, um, there's the key for me is is everybody's different I what I've yeah. taken from all of the people I've worked with and I've worked with some weird and wonderful people um, and no breakdown, no uh, falling from grace, no kind of progression into depression is the same, is it? You know, I think if we watch it on TV, it's uh, somebody freaking out, throwing a vase against the wall, sitting in a corner, shaking, and then for weeks on end, isolating themselves, being disheveled, not washing. And, you know, I'm thinking of... Phil from EastEnders, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it's not the case, is it? We can still be functional. No. It's just that word that you used, and I know it's a word that Claire's used um, in previous conversation. It's, it, it's the emptiness, I guess, and mm -hmm. that kind of, you know, outside of your own body experience of, of someone else yeah. suffering. It, would that be a right yeah. kind of thing to say? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's such a weird thing because you just don't know yourself. And the, I think the hardest thing as well was being around family at the time as well and having to like be kind of normal-ish for your daughter, you know, it's really hard. I think, you know, really understanding why to kind of like explain stuff to as much as I could. Yeah, um, I mean, that's, that's the responsibility and, of a parent, isn't it? It's, um, yeah. It would, it would blow me away if, uh yeah i i can see where you're coming from you know i've, I've got a five-year-old and i wouldn't want him ever to see me being anything other than the me that i want him to see and that's a, yeah. a, a depression i guess and and to be able to deal with that just makes you superhuman if you ask me yeah it's, it's a really yeah weird experience um and kind of it's also because i i had quite an understanding manager at work as well so i was instantly kind of signed off from work um, and it's that weirdness of being home all the time suddenly as well because it's not the norm that you're home all the time. It's like, <laughs> so, and having and having to leave the house when like the nanny comes home with your child so that you're not there all the time because that's weird. So then you have to go and find something to do for like three hours. Those are all the kind of weird things that no one kind of ever really kind of talks about. You know, that you have to kind of sometimes protect people you know, to kind of keep the normal things going for that because they're not going to understand. And did you find not being at work or being signed off from work, I, I know it, it's obviously good from a sense of you're at home and you're able to kind of deal with what you're going through, but I had a huge amount of, um, I, I guess, a sense of failure because I wasn't strong enough to 
keep I, I was at uni at the time so I wasn't enough I wasn't strong enough to keep going and therefore at that time being at uni I felt like you know obviously I'd given up on my future and that was it and and everything was going to go so although it was a hundred percent the right decision that I wasn't in school it had a really negative knock-on effect to what I was going through because I suddenly felt not only was my brain sort of failing me but now I wasn't even you know capable of doing the the everyday things that quote-unquote normal people do um which I I personally found really tough to kind of square away in my head. Um, I found, I think I found it the hardest that I would be letting down colleagues, mm. that people would have to be picking up my work. Um, and I think that was the hardest thing. Um, you know, cause I'd quite... I don't want to disappoint people like that, like you say. But and you kind of work when you work in a team. You don't really want to be, be that person pulling the team down. You see, I always, um, um, I always support them. my, I support my colleagues an awful lot by never doing any work. And that way, if I'm ever <laughs> off, they don't have to pick up the slack. I should try that. That's a neat yeah. tactic. Give yeah. it a go. You'll keep your job for another week or so. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but otherwise, I kind of. I was actually quite well supported um, on the fact that I should be at work um, and was made to feel like just take your time and get it get yourself sorted out. So um, that was good. Um, and what did um, that kind of time frame look like for you? Um, I didn't know at that time. Initially, I, I put no time on it. Um, I, I can't remember whether I... Yeah, I think I'd had my first counselling session, or therapy session as such, um, the week before Berlin. Essentially, I think it was on the Tuesday or something like that, before I flew. And um, I think I was still umming and ahhing about whether to go or not. And um, so it's a bit of a weird one because the first, Sessions are always a, always a weird one. You know, basically, they throw a lot of your, you start going through your past, um, or for me anyway. But um, I was undecided about what I should do because um, I had, you know, math and books in, and I and I had other races and stuff books in. But um, I kind of, it was really weird. I was like, I don't know. I could have not gone and I could, or I could have gone. It didn't, I kind of became ambivalent. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to go. Um, and I'll figure out how I'm going to deal with it. Um, in the few days sort of leading up to it. Do you feel um, like it, um, like it helped to accelerate your recovery in a way because you took yourself out of the zone that you were pigeon yourself, pigeonholing yourself into and kind of into another country? Um, I th- a little bit. I think having a really close group of friends that understood what I was going through around me helped like a millionfold. Yeah. <laughs> if that's a thing. Um, I think getting there was quite stressful. Um, but once there, I think you might be right. It's kind of, and I, I'm, and I was staying on my own as well, which quite helped, which made me happy as well. I think I had quite a nice place to stay on my own. Um, I, I hear you there. I love staying like on that. my own. <laughs> it's um, the dream. 
<laughs> sometimes I don't, sometimes I do, but this particular time I actually really liked it. So I just, and it wasn't a big hotel, it was a little kind of tiny place. And it was just quiet. So I could just take myself there and just chill if I wanted to, or I could go and meet someone if I wanted to hang out for a little bit. So I kind of, that was quite nice. And um, I kind of, I also, <laughs> also that week I fired my coach as well. <laughs> well, that, that sounds dramatic, but I said I can't coach. I can't be coaching. Anymore. I think um, I had a sort of a little epiphany that week. Um, I know it's just going off my pants in a bit, but like part of the reason that I think it was probably going to happen at some point. I was going to get into this place at once at some point, but I think part of the reason it happened was I'd pretty much been on a constant running plan for about eighteen months. So in, it, we were we were talking about this um, on the last podcast um, last week about how I, I think kind of the space that we're in at the moment because everyone's doing all of these amazing things all of the time that I see people on these really intense running plans that just never stop and they yeah. they never ease off and they never just run because they enjoy running it's always for yeah. a goal or for a time or for something and yeah and I think that does like there's things that you need to be or that you can be coached for and where a coach is really helpful but I, I, I mean as regular runners I don't know that we all need to be coached all the time and I know I'm talking to two no. coaches right now. No I agree 100%. Yeah I don't know how you do it John but um, I tend to sack my clients off every four to five months and say take a couple of weeks and then come back to me if you'd like to do it again um but i don't there's a couple of people who i it's gonna sound wanky now but i'm more life coach than i do running coach um Mm. because they want to keep in touch because they like the accountability but yeah like for those two weeks they're still getting in touch but i'm basically saying i don't care what you do um because people need downtime and they need relief it's why kids have holidays from school Running plans yeah. shouldn't be 52 weeks in length. It's as simple as no. that. That's mental. No, it's, it's too much. I mean, it was self-inflicted as well. Um, but I had to take some of the blame, quite a bit of the blame. But it, yeah, something that I had decided to do already at this point was like I had these races lined up. There was quite a few. But I said, as soon as I get to that race, I'm taking a month off. Mm-hmm. I think that so makes at that sense. end of that last race, it's like I want a month off. And it's like, it's something I started doing with, because I'm only kind of new to coaching myself, but I've learned quite a lot from being coached by different coaches and also studying other um, other coaches' work and things like that. And it's something I'm really keen on, just so to make sure people, that John... I ask them, if I take on a client and I say, when's the last time you had a break? Yeah. What does John Zinka the coach look like? What does he look like? Yeah, not not like I don't want to know that you're five nine, dark haired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm currently wearing a vest, um, but you know what? What kind of what? What's your style and and do you focus on certain people? You know, how do you go about it? Well, because I'm I'm quite new to it. Um, I it's not a business for me. Um, it's something that I want to do because I want to help people, and I also actually want to do one on one sessions with, and I want it to be. I don't want it to be just a plan that I just send someone. Yeah. Um, I want it to be a malleable um, experience, essentially, for them. That they have a goal, and we work towards that goal as a team. 
and I want to be able to do one-on-one like training sessions, if it's a track session or if it's going to be a hill session or something like that where we can look at technique and, and you know, actually have like face time. So it's not, it's not just like a math thing. I yeah. want to actually coach people rather than do plans. And that's an interesting thing because I did, cause I did my um, um, coaching running fitness course this year. Um, and the one of the interesting things that they they you know that like my sort of eyes and stuff is is like when they kind of talk to you about techniques and things like that and they go no that's not coaching that's just telling yeah. they're not getting any understanding out of that so it's actually trying to educate people so then they can learn and do things on their own so they don't make mistakes again. Yeah, because a coach can't be with somebody for every single session, no. can they? And unless no. you're, you know, Tony Miller, an elite and, athlete. Yeah, exactly. And, and Jess Ennis. Basically, you catch yeah. up with your coach once a week and you have a session with them, right? It's, yeah. you know, it's, it, especially if, you know, the, the joys of distance and FaceTime and all of that is that you could be in the same place as somebody from miles and miles away. Um, and you can see what they're doing and stuff like that. And, I completely agree with you. Coaching and prescribing are two completely different things. It's about yeah. how you interact. And uh, we were just saying before we called you about my friend Matt, who I pseudo coach in that he never pays me. A bit like Claire, actually. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I know how to push his buttons. And you learn the personalities of your, your clients, don't you? Yeah. And what makes them tick and what words to use. And some people like being uh, shouted at by a sergeant major. Some people like an arm yeah. around them, encourage them, tell them what they can do. And I think a good coach will always be able to detect who they can and can't work with. And I have turned down people before because I know that we won't click. And I've referred them on to other yeah. coaches that I think are, are, are good people that would be more suitable to them. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it is it is a really great experience learning the personality of the person you're coaching, like you said, and learning how they click. Um, and how to manage them or not manage them if they don't need it, you know, because everyone is so different and it's, it's really interesting to me. So uh, I'm quite new to it, so I'm just kind of getting into it. And um, kind of post this conversation, you know, next 12 months, what next? What next for? For you, you know, whether it's personally, running-wise, coaching-wise, like where do your goals lie now? Because you've, um, you've come an awful long way, you know, we're, we're 12 months in and maybe we could catch up with you exactly 12 months from now. Yeah, but... I mean, it's interesting because, yeah, from Berlin a year ago to now, it's, yeah, it's crazy, it's been a year. Um, I feel so much better in myself. Um, yeah, I kind of stopped my therapy sessions. We kind of got to the end of it, the end of March, which is good. And I've cut down on my races. That's one main thing I learned is, I can't, you can't race all the time. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying, running for enjoyment is a real key thing. I've done a lot more fun running um, this year. Yeah, because um, 70 miles over the Cumbrian Hills sounds like a joy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a very different thing. That was, that was an accidental run anyway. I wasn't racing that, but um, <laughs> that was kind of a weird misclick. But um, um, I've got... I've got, I'm changing jobs, so that's quite an interesting thing, I'm, which is a really cool, positive thing for me. At the end of the year, um, I'm being made redundant, which is awesome, and <laughs> I'm going to get to take some time to think about stuff 
And as I keep telling friends for a joke, I'm going to be a professional runner for two months. I like it. Um, <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. I've always been looking for how you get paid to just kind of run around kind of well my hometown of Worthing at an average yeah. speed you know and get paid for it so yeah. all I need to do is get, get made, made redundant and then I can do that yeah get made redundant yeah <laughs> thank you yeah, for that life coaching tip <laughs> yeah. I can make you redundant then... from run things if you want no you need me too much <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there'll also You're be no gonna... payoff <laughs> you won't hold it together Kev no that's very true mate <laughs> I'll, I'll be absolutely honest with you I'm kind of uh, the bones of it and Claire is, is the skin that ho- actually holds all the bones together otherwise it'll just crumble <laughs> don't tell her I said that because um, she's got a massive head <laughs> yeah but I'm kind of thinking about what's going to be my like goal race for next year because like, you can only really train for one like goal ultra a year um, and because it just takes too much out of you um and you've got to respect the distance and uh, and the training and everything like that. Um, so I'm just trying to work out what exactly which one that's going to be for next year. Um, I'm aiming to do New York Marathon next year just for fun. Oh, so good! Um, because last year I paced, I did Chicago after Berlin, and that was always going to be. I decided that was going to be a fun run, and then. I decided, Emma, my friend, said, would you pace me? So I ended up pacing her, and I had such a good time mm. pacing her, even though she hated me for most of those four and a bit hours. <laughs> pacing is um, big business now, you know. Yeah, I didn't get paid. I just got peaked from. So. No, you know what? I, um, I know of a guy who charges race entry plus £200 to pace somebody at any pace 245 or over for a marathon. I mean, that's, wow. that's good wedge, isn't it? Wow. That is good badge. A few hours work, plus you get to, to do the actual run. But, you know, you could be one of those guys with a backpack and a flag. There's plenty of those no. jobs going. I'm, I'm happy just to help friends out. I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you at all. Um, New York uh, is amazing, by the way. Have you, You've been there, but not done the marathon before. Is that right? Yeah, I've been to New York quite a few times. Yeah. Um, Ooh, but not for you. running period. I've been a fair few times. But it's, it's like the yeah. marathon is amazing because you run through every borough as well. You should do it sometime, Claire. It's brilliant. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully one day. It's, it's on the list, right? Yeah. Um, now, we're going to uh, we're gonna have to cut you uh, deadly off now because otherwise... Outrageous. Um, I, we will go over our subscription cost for Buzzsprout. <laughs> it was, as, as chief financial officer, I can't see that happen. Um, but the, the thing is, we're like, we're over half an hour and I feel like we've been talking to you for 10 minutes because the things you say and, and the way you describe things is just so insightful and, and honest. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm really thankful for having that insight from you. I know we've, we've talked a little about this last year in Berlin. Yeah. Um, but to hear somebody come out only a year after having, you know, something major like that happen and be coaching other people and be looking towards a new job and, and towards huge new goals is absolutely amazing. I'm blown away and I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm sure Claire can speak for herself, but thank you so much. Yeah, no. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been, um, it's been lovely and, and I'm just glad as, as your friend, um, but, you know, also just as a, a bystander watching you on social media um, that you seem in, in such a good place at the moment and watching your running for enjoyment, but also in doing that, you're, you're running for times and uh, effort going what, from strength what's, to strength. Uh, what's John's is, username? Uh, at 
Jay-Z. I think there's an underscore next, is there? Yeah. And then... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Go on, okay, you do I, it. I, 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 I can't do it. So, at Jay-Z, J-A-Y-Z, underscore, runs, underscore, and underscore cook. See, that was a lot. I, like I didn't want to get that wrong because there was a lot of underscores yeah. going on. I, I d- couldn't I remember just, where they were. I was mugging you off because you said how much you like following him and I knew you wouldn't remember it because it would just come on your feed. So that's, that's my bad, <laughs> not yours. And I bet he's got more followers than us put together. Oh, so many more followers Probably than not. us yeah. put together. I've got but... about nine. What have you got? Uh, One. Yeah, you. me. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And you're, not even your husband. Brilliant. <laughs> Um, so, uh, John, thanks so much. And I would actually love to catch up with you um, 12 months Definitely. from now and, yeah. and we can see where things are going. But we really appreciate it. And um, yeah, and you're just a wonder of a man. Thank you so much. Come visit us Thank on the you. South Downs soon, okay? Yes, we'll do. We'll come down soon. Thank you very much for having me. And keep doing the amazing stuff you're doing with one thing. It's awesome. Oh, bless you. Thank you. So do you feel inadequate? Because yes. not just in life, but because John is <laughs> John. <laughs> I should have caveated that. John is John. I am amazed at how eloquent everyone else is when they talk about mental health and especially depression or breakdowns or anything like that. Um, because when I talk about my own, <laughs> I feel like I do it a massive disservice. Um but yeah, John's great and he's such a lovely guy and I know, you know, that doesn't mean anything. But uh, yeah, it was really heartbreaking to see how much he struggled last year and I'm just glad that he has got the help that he needed and he's doing good things. What I like about the conversation we had with him was to show that you can come from a depth of despair to uh, someone looking outwardly at what can happen as well. Um Three years ago, three and a bit years ago, I got a call from my brother and uh, I want, and I know I talk about my dad killing himself a lot, but it's kind of pivotal in my life. But once my dad was dead, I thought I'd never have to deal with suicide again. Um, And then three and a bit years ago, my brother sent me a message and he was at the bottom of of a very, very um, dark and deep and miserable hole. And he was 200 and something miles away. And um, I thought he was going to die. And I went on a mercy mission and I drove all the way up to Leicestershire. And over the space of a couple of days, I convinced him that his life there wasn't what it could be and that I wanted to be able to help him. And I pretty much coerced him, um, bullied him, pulled him um, and dragged him down to live with me which was massive, right? To, mm. I know mental health problems pretty well. Um, I also know that I've got a five-year-old kid. Um, at the time, he was three. Um, and I knew that moving someone in who was really struggling could have been seen by others, never by me, but by others as dangerous. Um, and I felt it was my, only, my brother's only chance of surviving. and. Against uh, some reservations, uh, he moved in with me. I moved him into my box room, like the tiniest room in my house. And he's a big fat man, to be fair. (laughs) Um, And we had some real ups and downs, massive, massive ups and downs. And he was uh, sectioned for a while. Um, He did try to die. Um, He had, uh, we had some mental and sometimes verging on physical um, 
disagreements, let's say. Um, and throughout the entire time, he like he loved Jesse to pieces, mm. and you know, but I could see this guy like crumbling in front of me. Anyway, that was three and a bit years ago. Um, a couple of days ago, he sent me a text message, and he got engaged. Yay! And uh, I couldn't be prouder. And uh, to see somebody who thought that the earth had no space on it for them, to then have a partner and uh, a child who adores him and a steady job and a house and some sort of, I don't know how he's developed it, but some sort of fiscal responsibility. Like, he can look after money now, or at least she can, um, but he's like a normal person. Mm. And uh, I went. Uh, yesterday and I know this sounds mundane but I took Jesse with him and his daughter Millie uh, and we went swimming and at no point did I look at him and feel uh, sorry for him or concerned about him or worried about his development and uh, and that conversation with John just brought that out how important it is to think that when you're at the bottom of somewhere doesn't mean that you can you can't go deeper or you can go you know higher it just means that it doesn't have to be the place that you stop yeah and i think we both posted probably similar um things on world suicide prevention day around just hold on just hold on for a little bit longer um and i know that seems impossible and you know, your brother is testament to it. I, I'm testament to it that life, it, it, life's always going to be tricky, right? Uh, but it will have highs as well as lows. And those highs are worth sticking around for. And when you can get some of that equilibrium back and you can understand that what you're hearing and seeing is your brain being broken and that's okay and there's ways to fix it and there's ways to help you understand it and help you manage it um life gets better yeah um and there isn't a time frame for that but it does I think one of the things I've tried to teach my brother and I'm really proud of the fact that I've been able to be his mentor and that I've been um, <laughs> sensible enough because I am sometimes mildly sensible enough to be able to support him and, and do what I felt is right and, and make some pretty tough decisions. Um, and one thing I've tried to teach him about our dad's suicide is that you choosing to leave this world doesn't mean that the pain goes with you. Mm. It just gets passed on. And and he is testament to that because our dad died and he carries that and I carry that and my sister carries that and my mum carries that and my dad's sisters and, you know, it just keeps going. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think had my dad seen the catastrophic effects of his own suicide, which you obviously can't see, but I would hope that he'd at least think again about doing it. Um, yeah. Anyway, do you remember when we said just before um, we talked to John how we were going to make the end bit light? 
Your dad's suicide. Don't die, everyone. <laughs> Your brother's suicide attempt. My suicide attempt. Oh my! Have you tried all... to kill yourself? You didn't say. No, I don't talk about it very often. <laughs> we are so dark. Um, but yeah. Uh, so. Um, anyway, that's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. Yeah. Um, that's why we talk to each other. And we will always be here. Yeah. Um, we don't have to talk about you to listen to you. Um, no. We are not always after people to come and, and share what they have. We are after people to, to share with us should they need to. And we will always help to refer you to the people that need it if you want us to. Yeah, and on that, I, I've had... Um, uh, well, I always have when I kind of share about my own story people reach out to me um and just kind of say you know that they're hurting or they're in a bad place um and they don't know what to do and all I will say is do that if you don't know who to talk to then send me a message um and I will talk to you and I will help in whatever way I can and I will point you in the directions of people who can help you and I will always do that yeah and um, want to do that small caveat we're not professional um mental health support workers but we do know where there are lots of them yes um and if you have nowhere else to go the samaritans is a great place mind yeah. is a great place you can email us and we will send you the right places to go to we are info at runthings.co.uk or at we are run things on all the social medias yeah um anyway enough about uh people being down because it's depressing me frankly <laughs> <laughs> Jesus too much Christ. um so we are days away from marathon in a day which we're really excited about we are so excited about it i am very excited about it i'm not doing it i'll be honest with you i don't know if i'm doing it either no. but i'm very excited mainly about other people doing it mainly because of becca she's announced it on social media now so i feel yeah. like we can talk about it but yeah um anyone who's taking part in marathon in a day you're amazing ask and me what you. i'm excited about what are you excited about well um i'm excited about you know we've got the run club the run things run club hashtag rtrc yeah um sounds like rc rtrc um anyway um so we have our first physical hub um opening soon uh surprise surprise ask me where it might be where might this hub be in worthing oh yeah yeah stupid Classic. question you should know um and uh we are now looking at so the the run things run club has almost 400 members across technically the world um although the vast majority unsurprisingly are in the uk apart from the contingent in new zealand like i said the vast majority shout out to in. alex yeah um <laughs> boop, boop. um <laughs> But we are starting to think now about how we can support people locally. So what the Run Things Run Club is now doing is investing anything we've got, they've got, it's got, because we've got a committee and they're more in charge than us. Oh, yeah. I can't keep up with the yeah. messages. Um, so the committee we're very thankful for because we also want the Run Club to be independent from Run Things um, because we, well, we do. And Anyway, I'm I'm digressing. But basically, we've got this physical hub popping up and... You know, like Park Run is in lots of different towns and supporting those runners, stuff like that. We want the run club to be similar in that it will pop up in different places and run things uh, is hopefully going to be supporting that so that it can grow in different areas and support people who otherwise wouldn't go to a club. Yeah, so we are yeah starting our, I guess, trial of that in Worthing because yeah. we live here and it's the easiest place to start it. But um. Although I you guess, say that, we're doing nothing. Martine is true. doing it all. It's all down to Martine. But um, our t- 
RTRC (laughs) coming to a town near you soon, hopefully. We need a little um, uh, mascot. Yeah, we do. RT, RC, RT. (laughs) Like a bum called RT, don't we? (laughs) Anyway, I've had uh, two very large beers. That's enough for tonight. That is enough for Um, tonight. Good night. Farewell, so long.